What's your favorite travel show? Anthony Bourdain, Rick Steves, one of the Travel Channel shows. Well, starting in January, you'll have a new favorite, and it will be on PBS. Ernest White II is the host of that show, which is called Fly Brother, and Ernest is here with me today to talk about travel, Fly Brother, and even his re recent trip to the Cannes Film Festival. So don't go anywhere. Matthew Felix on Air starts now. Welcome to Matthew Felix on Air, people who create, people who make a difference, coming to you from Wordspace Studios in San Francisco, California. Hope you had a great week. My big news uh, last week was the interview that I did with CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg about my book, Porcelain Travels. The interview was for his Eye on Travel radio show, and I actually did the interview in April, but it just aired nationwide uh, last Saturday with the archived version going live last Wednesday. It was really fun uh, trading bathroom stories with Peter. He actually had quite a few of his own to share, so that was fun, and just getting to talk about my book, of course. And uh, if you want to check out the interview, you can uh, find the link on my website, matthewfelix.com, or, of course, on Peter's website, petergreenberg.com, and you can check out the May 25th episode. Speaking of Porcelain Travels, a new uh, episode of my Porcelain Travels podcast is out this Thursday, and that episode is a short excerpt from my recent live one-man show where I talk about my minuscule Barcelona studio, which had a very, very unique setup. And you can listen to that episode and all the previous episodes. That one's pretty short, like I said. Uh, but you can listen to that and all the previous ones on my website or on most major podcast platforms. In other news, I mention every week that uh, Wordspace Studios is offering writing residencies, and uh, in Wordspace Studios, of course, being where, where I do this podcast. Well, last week, Patricia Rareg became the latest writer to arrive for residency. Patricia came all the way from Paris, France, no less, and she's currently working on a novel, and among other places, her work has been featured in Aaron Burns' vignettes and postcards from Paris Anthology. So this Wednesday, June 5th, from 7 o'clock to 8.30 here at Wordspace Studios, Patricia and Aaron will be in discussion. Um, they'll talk about Literary Paris, about the vignettes and postcards anthology, writing in general, and much, much more. So if you're local to San Francisco or the Bay Area, please come check it out. That, again, is this Wednesday, June 5th, from 7 o'clock to 8.30. Some reminders about my upcoming shows. No show next week, but the following Sunday, June 16th, my guests will be author Rachel Howard. Rachel is a fiction writer. She writes personal essays, memoir, and also dance criticism. Her debut novel, The Risk of Us, is just out, and I just started reading it uh, the past two hours before the show because it just came in the mail. Not today, but yesterday it came in the mail, and um, I've been drawn right in. This is, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing, continuing to read the book. Uh, her first book, though, was a memoir. It was called The Lost Night, and it's, um, she was interviewed by Ira Glass on This American Life about that book. Her work has also appeared in O Magazine, The New York Times uh, Magazine, The Los Angeles Review of Books, and elsewhere. So I cannot wait to have Rachel on the show, and that again is June 16th. On June 30th, my last show before my summer hiatus, I will have uh, Guide Dogs for the Blind CEO and President Christine Benninger. And as I mentioned last week, I regularly babysit for a my canine nephew, Finn, who those of you who are watching can see in the picture. And that's kind of a, <laughs> I love that picture. Finn was a good sport for that picture. Those of you who are, are listening and can't see the picture, it's, it's on my, my, um, my Instagram feed. He was a good sport, like I said, for that photo. But, um, but Finn, it turned out, wasn't, wasn't well suited to be a guide dog. And he, he underwent what is called a, a career change. But... Um, but that's how I first got exposed to Guide Dogs for the Blind. And then they also, they train their dogs in San Rafael. And so I see them a lot over the years. I've seen them training the dogs in San Rafael. And so I've wondered for a long time just about the organization and just curious to learn more. So I was really excited that Chris agreed to be on the show. And that again will be on June 30th. Before we get to today's show, I want to say congratulations to Cara Black, who was on my show, I don't know, two or three months ago, not three months ago, not, not too long ago. She, of course, is the author of the Aimé Leduc series, which is a, a mystery series that takes place in Paris. Cara had the launch party for her 19th book today at, uh, Corda, at 
book passage in Cour de Madera. The book is called Murder in Bel Air, and it's out this Tuesday, June 4th. It's gotten great reviews from Publishers Weekly and Booklist, so uh, congrats again to Cara, and if you're into to mystery novels, that is one to pick up for sure. Okay, after this quick message from my host and sponsor, Wordspace Studios, we'll be back to talk with producer and host of the upcoming PBS travel show, Fly Brother, Ernest White II. A quick thanks to Wordspace Studios in San Francisco for sponsoring Matthew Felix on Air. Wordspace's mission is to bring together writers and thinkers of all ages and experiences. Wordspace will soon be offering creative writing workshops, a literary book club, and guided writing groups. And Wordspace is already offering writing residencies. They are submission-based, and they provide writers with room and board for up to one month. To find out more, you can email info at wordspacestudios.com. Ernest White II is a storyteller and explorer who has circumnavigated the globe six times. Did I say that right? Circumnavigated the globe six times. He is the producer and host of television travel docuseries Fly Brother, host of the travel and culture-focused Fly Brother radio show, and publisher of multicultural travel portal flybrother.net. Ernest's writing has been featured in Time Out London, USA Today, Ebony, Matador Network, National Geographic Travelers Brazil, and Bratz Tajikistan Guidebooks, as well as on TravelChannel.com. Ernest is also senior editor at Panorama, the Journal of Intelligent Travel, former assistant editor at Time Out Sao Paulo, and founding editor of Digital Men's, Digital Men's Magazine, Abernathy. Ernest has appeared on the Travel Channel television series Destination Showdown and Jamaica Baird, as well as in the 2013 documentary film about the dangers of mass tourism, Gringo Trails. Welcome, Ernest. Thank you, man. Where's the applause? <laughs> Can't you hear it? You know what? In all seriousness, I did think when I had more ambitions before I realized that I was already taking on enough with the cameras and, and all that stuff. I actually did was thinking about like having canned applause just okay, for certain. Yeah. I thought that that would be kind of funny. It would have been, been funny. But, but then it's like I have... People can't see, and you can't see, obviously, but right now I'm looking at five different screens okay. to do what we're doing right now. And so... An extra screen would have been An extra screen, and then... Yeah. Doing the most. Yeah, like I said, with the three cameras and the sound. Yeah. and But maybe when I have a production team like you do, which we're going to talk about, you actually have people behind the scenes making, <laughs> making your films happen. So maybe you can give me some pointers on... How to do that but yeah for My now minions. for now it's just us clapping all right well you, if you can't clap for yourself how can you clap that's for right. somebody else that's right uh-oh uh-oh, uh -oh. uh -oh. bring it back bring, bring it back it back Sing bring it back, back. there bring we go back. okay <laughs> bring it back to me okay so you and i met <laughs> several weeks ago not even several what was it three weeks ago it was may i it mean was the end of I'm april sorry april, april 11th yeah. april 11th so what's today 2019 yeah so i guess it's been like six weeks yeah anyway point being very recently and at Aaron Burns uh, lit, lit Wings event in Paris. Yay, Aaron. And then mere, yes, yay, Aaron, Thank who you. hopefully will be tuning in here shortly. And then mere weeks later, you returned to France to go to the Cannes Film Festival. Yes. From which you have now just returned. Um, so how was that? How was the Cannes Film Festival? Oh, wow. Uh, the festival was incredible. Had you um, been before? I had never been before. It was my first time. I was there as the MC and moderator of several panels for a tent called the Pavillon Afrique. Mm -hmm. um, it was a tent in the Marché du, uh, yeah, Marché du Film, which is kind of an, an film area. Marketplace. It's the film marketplace. It's where countries and film bodies kind of have tents that, uh, that facilitate interaction exchange between filmmakers producers financiers anyone in the industry and the pavillon afrique for the very first time was kind of a place for filmmakers and producers from the continent of africa as well as the diaspora to come together and just create yeah. you know visual yeah. storytelling and so i was there as one of the mcs and so, so this wasn't specifically about your own your own shows. This was it was big, not sort of specifically because I had a show, but I was tapped to do it because I have a show. I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So that's kind of how I ended okay. up Great. wrangled in there. So what? It's a good place to get wrangled into. That's very true. Um. So what sort of panels did you did you lead? What were some of the topics? Um. Some of the topics were interacting how to pitch for example something uh, okay. so it so went from basic related, yeah. it was definitely business related uh -huh. um there were also introductory panels uh not introductory uh so much it, not introductory in the sense of like first timers but introductory panels for meet filmmakers meeting producers meeting people who are active in the space mm -hmm. uh, some of the people that we 
had as guests were folks who operate cinemas in West Africa, mm, who represent governmental bodies that uh, provide financing for film and television projects. Mm-hmm. Young filmmakers from not only the continent, but Europe doing stories about being of African descent in countries like France and Belgium and Germany. Yeah. Uh, and then people from the U.S. and Brazil and uh, Haiti, Jamaica. They were yeah. all the, the uh, commissioner for the Jamaican Film Board was there. The uh, yeah, it's it, there was a lot of interesting people. I feel like I'm the only one who wasn't there. Well, next year. we. But would then I don't have, have a lot of heritage that would probably get me into that pavilion. But it doesn't matter because as, like, yeah. well, we're a very welcoming. People, OK, good. Matthew. <laughs> so just show up. Okay. We want everyone to feel at home. OK. That sounds that sounds like you must have made so many amazing connections. I, I did. Yeah. Um, I did, yeah, I did you did. But it's not it's a trick what question. We, it, yeah. It's what we do in the world. Man. Yeah. You, you go out, you show up as an authentic person, you engage, you interact, you uh, open yourself up, you become vulnerable and permeable and you end up connecting with people. Amen. Now, the most important question about <laughs> okay. Ken, did you see any stars? Uh, only the one in the mirror. Oh, I'm joking, man. <laughs> oh. He's feeling Actually, good, people. He's so, feeling good, people. Well, you know, again, man, you have to, if you are you do your have biggest your own TV fan, show. Hey. that's true, but if you're not supporting yourself, if you're not giving yourself that talk, so then true. how can you expect other people to do it? Um, yes. I did true. interact with some very interesting um, French and Haitian and African celebrities and stars mm-hmm. and personalities, mm-hmm. uh, but... Any like American names, I can't really rattle off just because I didn't see many of them. Yeah, yeah. I was outside of that well, sphere. Yeah, but you know what? That, and that's interesting because I had Zoe Elton. Actually, she's been on my show twice. Okay. She's the director of programming for the Mill Valley Film Festival. Oh, wow. And I asked her that question, of course, half joking, not half joking. And she had a similar comment because, you know, she's there looking for films, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, of course, she goes to some of the premieres, and I'm sure yes. she's been on or, you know, at some of the red carpets and things. But but her point was was similar, though. Yeah, even though that's going on, she's there working. Correct. And there's a lot of work to be done, and they're in different spaces. So you don't – it's not as if if you go to Cannes, you're necessarily rubbing elbows with all the big stars. You might. But, True. Um, and the thing is, it, I've, I heard people talk about it. You know, people who would come to Cannes for 20 years, 25 years. Back then, yep. you would be eating at a terrace. It's more intimate. And, exactly. I yep. mean, now there's security concerns. And it's oh, just yeah. so the, the nature of celebrity is different. Yep. The other thing, I, I did get the chance to interview the director, Mira Nair. Mm. And that was an incredible experience. And, and why is that? Just because I've been a fan of her since I was in high school when uh-huh. Mississippi Masala came out. Oh, uh-huh. And she directed most recently Queen of Katwe. She's working on a new film now. They had a screening of Queen of Katwe, which was about a young chess champion from Uganda. And Lupita Nyong'o played her mother. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a Disney no, film. I just read something about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so they had a screening and then I was asked to do the Q&A afterwards. Oh, great. And so I was yeah. trying to hold it together because yeah. I don't really... You don't want to seem star starstruck. Or... I, I I didn't mostly didn't want to seem starstruck. Yeah. I wanted to seem a little bit starstruck because like respectfully, certainly yeah. respectfully yeah. starstruck. Yeah, yeah. Because I think on some level, people who are doing great work should know how it impacts sure. people. Absolutely. You know, and so the thing that made me starstruck about her has was the intelligence of her work, the importance of the stories that she tells, which are all about empowerment you Mm -hmm. know women's empowerment men's empowerment people of color you know visibility as empowerment and she's done that uh, you know beyond her own background and heritage as a woman from india (laughs) you know and the other interesting thing was that she started in front of the camera and ended Mm. up becoming uh, this force and powerhouse behind the camera so I, i was starstruck yeah what a wonderful opportunity yes well, I'm glad you had an amazing time in Cannes. I'm sure we could talk lots more about that, um, but, <laughs> but we're not going to because we got yeah. If you remember anything, having only been back three days and, yeah, and jet lagged, and yeah, and for me, we were talking about this before before the show started. For me, my jet lag is worse three days later. Mm. Like I have a couple days where I'm okay, yes, and then it just hits me, okay. and then for a couple days, I don't know. But you <laughs> said you you had some other stops on your way back, so your acclimation. That's true. I don't know how yours is going. All right, but. Speaking of Q&A sessions, so for anyone who's watching, um, not if you're listening, because if you're listening, it's already recorded. But if you're watching live, uh, Ernest is up for taking questions at the end. So if you have questions about his show, which we're about to talk about, the Cannes Film Festival, about travel in general, uh, jot them down, keep them in mind. And at the end, um, if there are any questions, he will uh, generously, has generously agreed to field them. All right. So thanks for talking about Cannes. 
but let's talk about the main subject here, which is Fly Brother. Mm. And when I say Fly Brother, um, we're going to talk specifically about the show, but Fly Brother is also more than just the show. So like yes. I said, that is going to kind of be the focus. But you have uh, a TV show, the radio show, online magazine. You do trips. You're not. Some of this has been put a little bit to the side while you focused on the show. Certainly. But Fly Brother is an umbrella of, of those things and probably some things I didn't mention. So can you tell us at a high level what is Fly Brother? Fly Brother is all about transformational lifestyle design. You know, it's about stepping out into the world, like I mentioned before, and just engaging, just becoming your fullest self and finding that in others as well. We're all out here together on this planet. You know, teamwork makes the dream work. For me, it's about connecting with people. That is what I am most passionate about in life. When I travel, when I'm home, I enjoy seeing myself through the eyes of others. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of what I, that, that, that feeling, that experience of recognition. That's mm -hmm. what you feel when you're in love. It's what you feel when you are interacting with your best friends, with your family, that, you know, the people that you really care about, or even an amazing interaction with a stranger, with an animal that you, you love, you know, a pet, with, with totally. it, the environment, you know, it's just recognition. And so, that on a very high level, that's kind of what Fly Brother is all about. It's about getting out into the world, showing the world that you are a part of it, showing the world that you belong out there. Because when you do go out there, when you believe that you belong in the world, the world will show you that you belong in it. So I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And so a lot of the a lot of when we say going out to the world in this context, mm. I know you're talking in general, yes, sort of yes. a a personal level, but we're also talking when we talk about Fly Brother, the show and the radio show and the, and the online magazine, you're specifically travel is sort of under the common denominator also certainly, in, certainly. A, in a more sort of pragmatic sense. Yes. So when did you start traveling? I started traveling when I was... I started traveling physically to other places. Physically to other places, yeah. <laughs> we can get really metaphysical. Certainly. I don't know when you started having out-of-body experiences. Uh, well, but yeah. <laughs> I, when I was a very young child, I mean, I was always uh, drawn to literature and right. film and... Through the imagination. Certainly. Yeah. Books. About, I, uh, my parents were educators. Mm -hmm. We always had books around. I was a lover of literature and of reading and... So that was how I first started traveling, sure. through yeah. music, too. Yeah. You know, my parents were, are classically trained musicians as well as educators. So uh, to hear music from around the world and then ask my parents where that was from or what instrument that was. I remember Peter and the Wolf being one of my favorites to listen to as a kid because mm -hmm. it was just very impressionistic, right? Yeah. Literally impressing images in my mind mm -hmm. or on my mind. Mm -hmm. And so... That was kind of where the the fertile ground for Seeds travel. Were planted. Exactly, a hundred percent. I was yeah. always drawn. To, my favorite subject in school was geography. Mm -hmm. I was always drawn to other languages and to flags and costumes and architecture and things of things like that. You know, no, I, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think that's a really good point. So much of our travels, even our our literal travels, start. In our imaginations. A hundred percent. And that's what that's the beauty of literature. That's the beauty of film. That's the beauty of these things that they do transport us. They are transportative. Yes. That's they are transportative. And and then oftentimes it can again plant the seeds and then we actually go do it. We physically go yes. to other places. And so to answer that question, yeah. the first time I, I the first time I did a trip by myself, let's say, because sure. I went with my parents to the Bahamas when I was in, I don't know, maybe 12 or 11 or something like that. The Bahamas being another one of Florida's counties. Uh -huh. I'm from Florida. So, uh -huh. okay. Um, but okay. when I was... I don't know. I was a... Uh, sorry. I was a, um, a foreign exchange student when oh, I was you were? 16 years old. So was I. In Where'd Sweden. You go? In Sweden. Yes, oh. I went to Sweden. Um, okay. And it was a life-forming experience for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was 16... The way that came about was, you know, I'd seen in, in movies where people hosted a foreign exchange student. And so I asked my parents, could we host a student? And they yeah. were like, uh, no. But you can go. But you can go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I ended up going through Youth for Understanding uh, mm -hmm. International Exchange. Uh -huh. And Sweden was, along with Finland, one of the cheapest of the programs that you could go on. Which really? at that time That's in 1994, it was like $2,500 all mm. included. 
Um, so you don't think of Sweden and Finland being cheap today? Well, certainly, but the program back then, or the program itself, the program was yeah. cheap. I don't yeah. know. I don't remember what the economy looks like. Right. Um, but in terms of the program fee, right. And it was also one of the countries that didn't require language beforehand because they speak English. Correct. Somewhere. Yeah. So I didn't have to have like three years of Spanish or three years of French. Right. right. Um, and so I ended up going to Sweden. It was a phenomenal experience for the whole year. I was no, I was just there for the summer between okay. my junior summer. and senior yeah. year of high school. Yeah. And, you know, I had gone I had gone to an all black high school in a very segregated part of the south and the, on the north side of Jacksonville, Florida. So very similar <laughs> to the experience that you had in Sweden. Exactly. <laughs> it was just like. Uh-huh. Well, here's the interesting thing. Yeah. My high school was an all black high school and it was opened in 1965 as an all black high school during segregation. But the mascot was the Viking <laughs> because it's on the north side of town. A little bit of trolling. Uh huh. School uh-huh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I apparently, or maybe it was a little bit of a prophetic because you ended up up there. I suppose so. Man. Yeah. Okay. So, so Sweden was really first when sort of the gates opened, and was that it? After that, you just started traveling. Exactly. Right. Uh, I would say probably three or four years later, I ended up going to the Dominican Republic through my undergraduate university. Did a study abroad there. Um, and then anytime I got the chance, and this is the late nineties into the early two thousands, I would hop on a flight deal, you know, and, and right. this was Just when things were shifting to, you know, from like, uh, the, the airline industry was shifting from telephone, telephony to digital and, and websites and everything like that. So More we were kind of being able to take easier. advantage of yeah. lower f- fares that were offered directly to the customer without having to go through a travel agent. Yep. So when did you shift from, hey, I really love to travel, this is great, to I want to make this my livelihood, I want to make this the focus of what I'm doing? Um, It was a slow but steady transformation. After I finished graduate school, or while I was in graduate school, um, I went to American University. I went first, plug, to my Uh undergraduate university, Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. Okay, there it is. An HBCU, Historically Black College. Okay. Uh, I studied political science, Uh and then I went to graduate school in Washington, D.C. at American University and got my MFA in creative writing. Uh During that time, I had, living in D.C., you know, it was the early to mid 2000s it is it was then and it still is a very a very international city so it was easy to go to social events at the embassies to meet people from different parts of the world and you always got really good flight deals and so getting into the habit of traveling kind of helped foment the idea that I should be doing this if not professionally at least as full time as I could make it. Yep. And so after I, one of the perks of getting an MFA at the time, terminal degree then, yeah. was a teaching certificate. Uh-huh. And that allowed me to go overseas and teach. So that was kind of how I ended up making travel a full time presence in my life. Right. And then it slowly shifted over the next decade from being an education focused um, professional life mm-hmm. to journalism yep and uh that's kind of also how i made travel my business yep Mm -hmm. all right so again i'm sure there's a whole other show there the whole actual trajectory because there's so many different interesting things along the way so but what we're going to do is fast forward sure to fly brother okay and but again we're still not going to get to the show although that (laughs) is going to be the focus but i want to hear about the radio show because when i was researching for today i didn't know that you also had a radio show show slash podcast and i know again it's on hiatus because you're focused it is on hiatus but just so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it but just to give people an idea that it's out there and what's it about sure sure. just give us give me a little a little intro to the radio show well the fly brother radio show is about travel and culture and so i interview people that i find very interesting that have a travel story they may be someone that works in the travel industry as a professional uh i've had people who represent travel insurance companies who represent airlines who represent you know different destinations and they'll talk about how travel affected them from an early age and how they ended up working in that space Hmm, or I'll talk to people who I talked to a film director from India who was one of the first LGBTQ film directors to kind of uh, well he wasn't the first but he was one of the pioneers to to put films out there at a time when it was illegal to be gay in India Uh, I interviewed uh, another guy who had been in the military and he ended up becoming a music like a music uh, producer but it Michael was Carter. traveling Michael Carter yes mm-hmm. but it was uh, what's up what's up Mike <laughs> uh, but it was the travel that changed his life you mm-hmm. know I've talked to scholars I've talked to people who again have can talk about how 
life forming travel has been for them. And so it's on hiatus right now. um, But when the show comes out in January, actually in the run up to that later this year, we're hoping to go ahead (laughs) and get started again with the with the show. Yeah, cool. I have one question that's kind of selfish. The question is really mostly for me more than for people watching and listening, although I'm sure some of you will care if you're doing your own podcasts or or things along those lines, because I noticed that you're on blog talk radio and I've seen that come up a few times. Okay. And I'm oh, so I'm just no. I'm curious how how you chose that as a platform versus some of the other platforms that that are out there. Okay, I didn't. You didn't. I was actually my show was on a digital radio network that was on Blog Talk Radio. It was Uh, called the the Industry Entertainment. Right. That's a long yeah. Uh huh. But that network has since ceased to exist. Uh huh. But that was how Blog Talk was chosen as the platform. All right. So it's not like you went out and found them and decided that that's where you wanted to be. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because and the, the reason that was selfish is I was just curious because it's come up a few times when I've been doing my own research and mm. I just wondered if I should be there as well. So anyway, Maybe. okay, seems like it's seeking you, huh? I perhaps, <laughs> perhaps I don't know, I don't know. That's yeah, I got to do a little more work there. Okay, um, let's get to the TV show. Why? What's the uh, T? The, what's that? What's the T? What's the T? V <laughs> show. Why a travel show? I mean, oh, we, wow. we've established why travel, but why did you think and all that? Because you were you've done a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of articles on the website, your online magazine. Yes, uh, you've done the podcast. You've been on other people's shows. So yes. why did you decide? You know what? I want to do my own travel show now. So I didn't decide. Uh-huh. Actually, it was decided for me. Interesting. Um, but I will say it's the power of image. You know, that's the that's that's why it's important. Um, I was content being a writer. That's uh-huh. all I ever wanted to be. Um, a buddy of mine from college was co-owner of a very small startup television, cable television network called the Dream Network. And he was like, man, look, you've got your blog, Fly Brother, which had been out for a while. It had some traction going on. You know, it was prior to Instagram. So people were still reading blogs at the time. Right. And going to blogs for photographs mm-hmm. in a way that Instagram has now kind of, you Taken know, not over. just blogs, but... It, that was a space that it held at the yep, time. Yep. And uh, he was like, man, you've got a great voice. You've got a great look. You've got great X, Y, and Z. You know, we really would love, we need content. We'd love for you to do a travel show. Mm-hmm. You've got connections in the industry from having worked as a journalist for 15 years. Right. You know, and we, he, they were very upfront saying like, we can't pay you. However, we'll give you all the support that you need in terms of, you know, coaching and consulting. And we'll give you paperwork to basically be able to to make it work and you'll have a non-exclusivity agreement so if you do sell it then excellent you know and so again this was a friend friend from college actually i was still saying no i was like no oh you're still saying no of course i was wait wait why of course so i had been a fat teenager Uh uh-huh and i was at 360 pounds when i graduated high school wow I did not want to be on, on camera. camera. It didn't uh, matter how uh. much weight I had lost. It didn't matter how many years had passed. Yep. My focus was writing. That was what I knew I could do really well. Mm-hmm. Unseen. It, unseen. Physically unseen. Exactly. Right. But clearly that's not, that wasn't my path. Yeah. Um, so I could either go willingly or go kicking and screaming. So there uh-huh. was some kicking and screaming. Uh-huh. But I don't want my own TV show. No, you can't make me have my own TV I show. I mean, basically. I love the irony there. Uh, that's exactly what it, it was. But man. I get it, yeah, yeah. So any confidence that I might display here is a hard one ass right. confidence. Excuse my French. Right. Watch your French. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so basically the show kind of came out of that. It mm-hmm. was um, trying to figure out, you know, what my gimmick could be. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I eat food, obviously, but I'm not a foodie in that regard. Right, you were so going to be the next Anthony Bourdain. Or, it, yeah. And it certainly wouldn't have been authentic for me to try to make that my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking at the types of things that I found interesting, the types of things that I did really well. Right. And the th- types of things that would be compelling. Mm-hmm. And I felt, at first I was like, ah, no one cares about friendship and connection. And then after a while, I was like, <laughs> you know what, that's exactly what people are looking for. Yeah. yeah. So I already write about it. Let me j- and I've been, you know, kind of blessed to have this global network of friends and lovers and business partners that have been pieced together through my lifetime of travel. Mm-hmm. And now we've got the technology to stay in contact in a way that a generation ago you had to, you know, write letters as pen pals or, you know, make a three dollar a minute phone call twice right. a year. Right. But like now, really, there's no excuse to not create that network. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, you know what, this feels 
right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how the show came about. Mm-hmm. While we were, we, so we ended up filming 10 episodes in 10 locations oh, wow. for a 22 and a half minute show, which was a, what a commercial show in a 30 minute time slot would be. Mm-hmm. But the Dream Network sadly went dark while we had, we had just finished our final shoot. Mm-hmm. And so we Can, hadn't produced anything. We hadn't d- done the production work yeah. or the editing. Yeah. But then we had a cart with no horse and that's okay. when PBS came in. Okay, so we're going to talk about that in a second because I want to talk about the whole journey to PBS and finding a network. And uh, again, I'm very curious about a lot, a lot of the specifics there. No problem. But I want to come back to one of my next question was going to be, you know, what sets your show apart? And you just addressed a lot of that. Okay, you you looked for what distinguishes you, what's unique Mm -hmm. to you, how can you be authentic to yourself and find something that hopefully will resonate with others. That's the friendship, the connection, that part. One thing that I liked about that along those lines is a lot of the show, and I don't know if this is still the concept, but one in one of the descriptions I read online about it was that, um, quote, actually this is a quote, I have a quote from your website, each episode centers on the personal travel style of Ernest White II as he connects, that's not the quote I wanted to read, we're going to come back to that. The next quote was, (laughs) um, where is it, that you, that you, I can't find the quote, but the point is that you visit. um, Oh, here we go. With engaging. So you connect with, quote, with engaging, enlightening people who have all helped expand Ernest's world over the years. So at least the focus this first season is on people you already know. That's correct. So I thought that that was an interesting spin versus most travel shows. They would go to L.A. and they'd be like, "Okay, we got to connect. We got to reach out to people in L.A. to learn about L.A. You're going back to these places where you already have these relationships. Yes. And so. I, I really liked that that angle on it, and that does seem like that would make it much more personal and give it a different spin. Well, certainly. I mean, yep. they, they know where the bodies are buried. They've held <laughs> my hair back over the toilet. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. these are bona fide friends who can call me out on my shit when need right. be. You know, and sometimes that goes into the show. So yep. I think no, the idea... I, yeah, because you sent yeah. me, sorry to interrupt, but no, you, no sent, you let me take a peek at the first episode, which I really appreciated. And I love that scene when they're holding your head out of the toilet when you were vomiting. <laughs> I thought that was a great, it's powerful, powerful television. Exactly. When they're holding it, they're pulling his hair back right. as he's just retching into the toilet. And I don't know what you had because you just went on and on and on and I on. I had too much fun. Too much fun. Yeah. Okay. The show is a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> but another thing, the quote that I just read, um, I want to come back to that. Sure. The one that I accidentally read. Um, but I, I, I like this quote as well. Each episode centers on the personal travel style of Ernest White II as he connects with familiar and unfamiliar destinations around the world. So I know that Aaron Byrne who says, quote, she has chimed in and she says, I love how you say yes mm. to things. So that's Thank a shout you, out Aaron. to you. Yep. And hello, Matthew for joining. Thanks for joining. Um, but I know that when Aaron interviewed me on my first time that I went video here, she asked me, you know, about my personal mm. approach to travel. Okay. And we all have, specific unique ways that we do approach travel so i'm just curious how would you describe beyond what you've already shared uh your personal approach to travel or your travel style my travel style is all about getting into the community it's getting out there and getting into the community doesn't mean necessarily that i'm looking for the most downtrodden or you know lowest income area to go hang out in nothing Uh wrong with those places but it's not like you know slum chic if you sort of right no it's about just connecting with everybody i can Mm -hmm. and so that if that means the you know the bus boy or the you know young lady that's making my coffee or whatever you know sometimes when you're especially when you're traveling in places like can uh like new york even there's so much going on that people are only focused on the folks who can get them someplace or help them do something mm-hmm. that are on some level they are that they're on or higher perceived. Yep. They ignore people that they perceive as not on their level. It's subconscious. And I'm not going to say I'm haven't done it myself. Mm-hmm. The whole point though, is when I show up to a fast food window, not advocating fast food or Starbucks or whatever, this is a health conscious, it's show. a health conscious show. Yeah. But I'm saying to the person, good morning. How are you? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't always remember to do it, but I will say it was beaten into me by my mother to (laughs) to greet people. I'm glad your mama raised you. My mama did raise me. Right. Mm -hmm. Thank you, mama. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically, it's when you go someplace, it is recognizing that person as another human being. And it doesn't matter if I'm if I'm at home or traveling. Right. And so that's that's my travel style. Well, another variation sort of on that theme is, you know, when I started doing this show, Mm. 
first at the radio station and, and now here on my own, so to speak. Um, you know, one of the lessons I learned very quickly, and I think this is what you're saying just in a slightly different way, is it's not just the quote unquote famous or accomplished or whatever people that are, like you said, perceived to be at a certain level who have the interesting stories. Correct. You so find story, you find some of the most compelling stories from people who don't have the platform quite right, often. Right. And then also when you make that connection, you get invited to their homes. You get invited into their world. So you're doing it to find cheap accommodations. That is I'm not here. true. Uh, I would, okay. That's no, Matt. Okay. All right. <laughs> what about the name? What about the name? We haven't talked about the name. Uh, what about the name? Tell me about the name. What's the name mean? Where'd the name come fly from? Fly Brother. It just, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, I feel like it's evident, isn't it? Uh, okay, so it just got more evident. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Obviously, I fly uh -huh. to places by yep. aer aeroplane. Yep. Uh, aeroplane. <laughs> using jet propulsion, uh -huh. preferably. Uh -huh. Preferably. Um, <laughs> but fly also comes from kind of the slang term for something that's very cool, very hip. Yep. Uh, Superfly, the pimp from the 70s. You know, it's it's black slang, something mm -hmm. that's fly. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was the double entendre with that. And then right. brother, you know, I'm a black man. I'm mm -hmm. a brother. Mm -hmm. And I'm also soul brother. Okay. You know, I, I'm and I mean that in the heart centered way. Right. Uh, not the jive way, but or the both. fact that look, there's room for all of those things in that term. Right. You know, so let's go a little further with that term. Let's sure. let's go a little further with, with race. So you are calling that out in the title. Um, and and you're obviously an African-American black man. And is so it obvious it is obvious. I, well, although although I did read your essay where it's not necessarily obvious, depending mm, on where you are. Correct. Again. So I did my research. Um, but the, but the reason I bring that up is because one of the criticisms that we often see about the travel industry yes. and about travel journalism mm. both is that it is pretty white. It's extremely white. It can even, be. Right? It can be. <laughs> so so where does that fit into to, to Fly Brother, the efforts that you're doing and, and, and your experiences there? Um, well, I'll say this. First, the whole point of Fly Brother was to encourage people of color generally, or no, people of color very specifically within mm -hmm. the U.S. to do mm -hmm. more traveling. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. if you're a person of color who's got family and recent connections in other countries, you have many people like that, then it's not necessarily speaking directly to you. There's something I feel like that it, that anyone can get out of Fly Brother in terms mm -hmm. of just opening up and traveling. But right. it was coming from the African-American experience, which Yes, we've always had African-American travelers, but generally it had been something that was prohibitively expensive, something that required a lot of free time that people who were just trying to get jobs and be gainfully employed didn't necessarily have. Right. And I came out of a family experience where there were certain family members who kind of looked at my travel as frivolous mm, only because mm -hmm. it wasn't something that they had experienced. Right. Um, and so it was to, and again, this was, I started the blog well before Instagram came out, before the quote unquote black travel movement was a thing in the sense of people using Instagram to kind of to get out there and travel and eventually one up each other. Mm. Back then, yeah, it was thing. not it, people still felt like it was again, prohibitively expensive. In fact, some of my earliest criticisms from people were about some perceived trust fund that I had. Mm -hmm. You know, well, I have to work and all these other, like I've always yep. had a job mm -hmm. when I've traveled. Right. I got jobs in teaching, in the teaching sector or as a journalist in order to be able to be gainfully employed and still travel. Mm -hmm. But it was the awareness that I had that it was something you actually could do Right. That many people didn't at the time when I got started. And you chose to make it happen. Correct. Nobody handed it to you. Exactly. Right. The other thing to talk about, like to, to answer the question about like the whiteness of the travel industry, right. it is partially because of that kind of historical, let's say, lack of access. Mm -hmm. But there's also the focus on what is the perceived market. You know, it was ignoring the African-American market in terms of travel, the, the market related to people who visiting friends and relatives, the VFR market for people mm -hmm. who go back to their home countries or go to the home countries of their grandparents and that kind of thing. That's been ignored for decades in the yep. travel space, especially with regard to travel journalism. Mm -hmm. um, so I think obviously just my very presence, you know, my presence and my voice, I'm able to speak from 
my own personal experience, but in a way that kind of bridges a gap. I can mm -hmm. talk about my experience in a way that's relatable to the people who haven't had my experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think now brands and the travel industry are starting to see the value of that mm -hmm. more than they ever had before. Um, there's still a long way to go, obviously, but now the fact that I'm not the only name out there, yep. I wasn't ever the only name, but I was one of a, a scant few, Small, right. like Onika the Traveler. I always have to throw my girl out there mm -hmm. because she's been in the game for a long time. Avita Robinson, Lola Akinmade Orchestrum, I'm probably mispronouncing that. Sounded right Mostly to me. women yeah. that have been pioneers in this space as well. So yeah. I'm one of a few dudes, uh, Eric Prince, uh, Phil, the culture of Philwalkie, I don't know his real, his real name, but there's uh -huh. some people out there now that are kind of making their names known, but um, there's always room for more. Mm -hmm. And you Nate, just mentioned worldwide, Nate. Sorry, no, it. it's okay. Keep throwing them out there. But you just mentioned what did you call it? You call it the Black Travel Movement? What did yes, you call it? Right. The Black Travel Movement is kind of this uh, a, a very large movement, mainly African American, um, that kind of got momentum with Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, it's mostly millennials. Again, black Americans and black people and people of color have been traveling since travel was invented. But you're talking but about visibility. In terms and, of the visibility. Organi organized. Exactly. Right. You've got large group. Uh, again, one of the pioneers in the organized kind of travel space amongst millennials was Evita Robinson with the Nomadness Travel Tribe, mm -hmm. because she was one of the first people to kind of start a Facebook group mm -hmm. about this. Mm -hmm. it, something as simple as that. And it ended up having like 90,000 members. And out of that kind of, that was one of the catalysts, not the only, but one of the main catalysts for the black travel movement in the sense that people are aware of traveling now. They're aware that boundaries and borders are less, are, are more permeable, even as visa restrictions may go up. Um, and they're out there doing it. They're going in groups. They're taking photographs, to, you know, together. And again, there is some of this competition and one-upsmanship that's happening. But at least people are out there. Well, that's Yeah, that's a whole other issue. But I went to something with – so I saw on Facebook when I was researching for today, you when you were at Cannes – you did an event or maybe more than one event with Faith. I don't know how to say it. Adiele or Adiele, Adiele, yes. Adiele, you say it like that. Okay. And I saw her. She had a group of travel writers. Yes. People of color travel. There's a name for Vova. Vona. 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 Right. So Weekday Wanderlust, uh, Kimberly Lovato and Don George's group, Weekday oh, Wanderlust, yes. had Faith and her group. And they did a special event with all people, um, writers from her group. Okay. So, so Vona was, is yeah. a writer's workshop for writers of color. Okay. And it touches on all different genres, fiction, poetry, travel writing, screenwriting. Okay. Uh, and so Faith is kind of, among other things, over the travel writing section. Yeah, okay. And gotcha. uh, she's been helping people get access. That's right. really what it's awesome. about. Yes, yes it is. Okay, let's get back to Fly Brother specifically, but I wanted to touch on that, that sure, part sure. of things. Uh, production and distribution. So... And I, you, you already touched on this a little bit, but rather than um, actually not a little bit, you touched on this a fair amount rather than go to a network or go to a producer and say, I want to do a show. Um, well, actually, that's not true. They came to you. But still, <laughs> but still, because now that I know that they came to you with the show, it kind of re I have to rephrase my question, because uh, what I was going to say is you didn't go to a channel and say, I want to do a show. You, you produced the show yourself. And that's still the case, even though you got help from this this network that ended up going under. Right. I mean, if it wasn't for my buddy Chester Jones at the Dream Network coming to me saying, I want you to do this right. and being persistent about saying that. Mm hmm. But you, I would never have done it. But you um, ended up doing the production yourself. I, yes, I sounds did. Like. I did. Right? I did. So that's what I want to talk about. That's sure. what I'm really curious about because a lot of people might say, "Hey, you know, we've got this travel show idea. Let's let's pitch it to the Travel Channel." And so I'm curious what sort of the differences, what are the challenges and benefits to doing it the way you ended up doing it, even if it was sort of accidental. Right. Right. Um, how? What can you tell us just a little bit about trying to? setting out on this on your own and then shopping it which sure. we'll get to the shopping part sure we'll get to the pbs part but just this mm -hmm. idea of producing a show on your own before you even have a home for it the challenges and advantages to that well i'd say one of the advantages is obviously creative control right you know i was able to conceive of the whole i the the the, the project and go after that vision I worked with my production team, my cameraman slash director, Pedro Ceja, um, screenwriter and, and, and support 
Hermano Beaumont down in Brazil, people I had met a few years ago when I was living there, mm -hmm. great guys who also had a good vision when it came to putting this whole project together. And that the freedom to do that without having to worry so much about a network's requirements right. was really great. Right. Um, also, as an outsider, it helped me because I didn't know what I could or couldn't do. So I mm -hmm. wasn't hemmed in by the rules of the whole process. So you just went for it and then exactly. deal with it later. Uh, for example, Pedro was like, why don't we just focus on Brazil? It'll be geographically easier. You know the country really well. I'd lived there for three years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so how about we do that? And I was like, no, this needs to be global. Mm -hmm. Why? I don't know. Just it just gut, it, it gut right? Mm -hmm. um, heart. Mm -hmm. um, and so... So that's one of the advantages. One of the, the challenges had been, obviously, the financing, the funding of that's it. That's my next question. Um, so there was a, a part of it was having worked in the, in the travel journalism space, like any industry, you have connections. You have, and relationships are important. Again, connecting with people. It's all and about so, who you know. Absolutely. Well, and, and, it's all, and also how you Maintain cultivate that. Exactly. And, right. and so I had gone to travel conferences. I had, you know, I, I was just out there on the scene. I would, had met people like Spud Hilton, you know, from the Chronicle mm -hmm. at TBEX, like the second TBEX ever travel blog exchange that mm -hmm. uh, was in like that was in New York in like 2010. I met him just standing in line for hors d'oeuvres just by know, chance. So exactly. Say, like unquote, that's yeah. the kind of thing that, you know, you, you capitalize on, you save those cards, you reach out to people. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where communication skills are so important. And I'm mm -hmm. not sure that, I mean, it was developed in our generation. I'm not sure if I'm seeing that happen with a lot of young well, now people. they just text right well and uh, yeah anyway now i'm about to different get subject hey, different subject now Let's i'm turning into there. a curmudgeon but Let's you get what i'm there. saying I the totally importance get what you're is saintaining saying. these kinds of connections yep. and so i kind of leveraged those so i would reach out to a destination uh, in a place uh, like a destination management organization such as a tourism board or a pr company that works for that particular destination in a city where i knew i had friends i showed up at um, the World Travel Market. I showed up at ITB in, uh, World Travel Market was in London mm -hmm. in November. Mm -hmm. ITB is in Berlin in March. I would show up to those places and walk down the aisles and interact with people. And this is <clears throat> with the goal of getting funding for the show? This, or you're just talking not, in general? If not funding, it would be at least to have Promoting the, the shoot. Show. No, it no. would have the shoot covered. It would oh. have the the accommodations taken care of, possibly because the, they want the to promote fare. their particular Correct. destinations. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so I had a, an advertising deck from the Dream Network that I used, and a little bit of a, a clip. I also ended up just in talking to people, people asking me what I was doing. I would find myself, not seek out. I right. would find myself in conversations with people sure. uh, who were all of a sudden investors or connected to somebody yeah. who could give me a thousand dollars give me ten thousand dollars you know right. one of my first investors was um uh my buddy jason best jason in the world my brother <laughs> i don't know why your name your last name is okay. <laughs> i'll come back to well, it later this but part out. anyway he he just you know he invested mm -hmm. uh the the um Dawa Angels, which are uh, lady doctors, they invested $10,000 wow. effort. You know, so I mean, like these kinds of, of, of things happened, mm -hmm. which allowed us to kind of get the ball rolling and mm -hmm. get one episode filmed and then have that edited and allowed me it, to use it as a sizzle Show reel to the next, when I would right. go to exactly when I would talk to these other destinations. Right. And I think that's going back to the beginning of that part of our conversation, sure. I think a really good point there is that a lot of these places, these destinations, they have promotional dollars or a hundred percent. Yes. Whatever they do. promotional euros or yes or whatever. And promotional so, pounds. promotional pounds. And so that's something to keep in mind as well. And then like you said, also just this fact that it becomes, hopefully there's a sort of snowball effect yes. as you. And it's also the confidence level. The more you do it, I was nervous, shaky, you know, I hated being on camera. I hated having to talk about money. Mm -hmm. I hated having to sell myself to do this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in a, because of, I've done it so much yep. that not only have I leaned into it and found the enjoyment, but it has made me just a better 
entrepreneur because mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. am an artist. I still create art. That's right. naturally coming out of me. But now I can sustain it and scale it thanks to people like Jason Ridgel, best Jason There's in the, the name. world, There's Yvette the name. McQueen, MD. He found it. He yes. found it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another question along these lines, not specific to funding, but specific to getting your show out into the world. There are a lot of travel shows out there. Yes. And we've already talked about how yours is different. But I'm curious, as you were, before you found a home for the show, is it the sort of thing where there are so many shows out there, it's like a Starbucks where if you find the right corner, there's the opportunity? Or is it now there are so many people pitching travel shows that you've really got to stand out? Or, I mean, inevitably you're going to have to stand out. It's got to be good. But I'm just curious because now there's the Travel Channel. I'm sure National Geographic. Certainly. I'm sure there are, I don't have cable. I'm sure there are other travel channels. So I was just curious, sort of, is the market inundated or, again, is it sort of the Starbucks thing where, no, no, if you find the right niche, there's, there's an opportunity. I think it's the latter, man. Mm-hmm. I feel like nowadays we've got the technology to that, – that's infinite. It is mm-hmm. infinite technology. Mm-hmm. You know, So you can be out there digitally at least – and your audience can find you. There's only one travel channel for the moment. There's only one discovery channel for the moment. There's only one CNN for the moment, but there are multiple news channels. There are multiple travel channels. You know, there are multiple streams and I don't believe that I'm the only person that can tell my story the way I can tell it. Right. So if I own that, if I know I'm speaking from a place of authenticity, I'm not worried about anybody else, you know, doing me. Mm-hmm. And if you're Fair doing enough. you, you also won't be worried about anybody else doing you because it'll all line up. And yeah. I know that's I'm, I'm saying this from a place of strength now. <laughs> I didn't always necessarily yeah. feel that way. And it took me a while to get to this place. And so if you're not feeling this way now, it doesn't mean that you'll always keep on keeping on. Correct. Yeah. Eventually, you'll get to that place where you recognize, you know what? Damn it. Like, I'm the best me. And so as long as I keep being the best me, I don't have to worry about there being a cluttered travel space or a cluttered right. whatever space. Right. Because be I, space I'm going to Exactly. Hey, thanks for listening to the first half of my chat with Ernest White II, host and producer of the new PBS travel series, Fly Brother. Tune in next week for the second half of our chat, where we talk about what's involved in getting a show onto PBS and collaborating with PBS. We'll also get a sneak peek of the first episode of season one of Fly Brother, and we'll talk about the other episodes as well. Ernest shares his love affair with Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I talk about my own relationship with Istanbul, Turkey. Ernest also talks about what goes into producing each particular episode of Fly Brother, including what's most fun and what's most challenging. He talks about when he ate fire for one of the episodes, and I talk about why I get road rage on Highway 1 here in Northern California. Finally, we talk about over-tourism and the impact that it's having at uh, different destinations around the world. So tune in next week for the second half of my talk with Ernest White II, host of the new PBS travel series, Fly Brother.